All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Good Newscast. As always, good to be with you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're recording this, all right, in December, December 2nd. Yep. Uh, I think this will go live today or tomorrow. Um, here's what we're going to do today at Redeemer. Uh, we've said this before, we make this podcast first and foremost for our church family here at Redeemer, but of course for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. Um we are going through an Advent series, Joy to the World. So uh, a lot of times during Christmas, your church, uh, a church may do joy, love, peace, hope. We don't believe in those other ones. Okay. <laughs> We're doing joy, 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 joy. Yeah. No, we do believe Solid in those other joy. ones. But we are doing joy because we need to hear a lot about joy yeah. in light of the past two years. Yeah. Culturally. So... Jeff's going to talk a little bit about where he's going. I might make a comment on where I went in my sermon with Joy last week. Yeah, why don't you? Why don't you open us? I'll open. open. Okay. Yeah. I'll make some comments. Let Jeff make some comments. It's going to be brief. And then we're going to get into, um, can you lose your salvation? Mm. We're going to talk about that. We're going to answer that question. All in one podcast, dude. Can you lose your salvation? Only us two could do that in one podcast. <laughs> um, okay. Where did I go? So I, I got to kick off uh, mm-hmm. the sermon series. You were out at a wedding in Florida. Florida. Um, so I did, um, I said a lot of sermons about joy will talk about what joy is. Mm-hmm. This is what joy is. This is the joy we can have in Christ. A lot of times they'll focus on the possibility of joy. And when I say a lot of times, this is more like a gut level. This is probably what I think most sermons, you know, probably focus on. Uh, Is joy possible? So in the darkness, in the deeps, in the pain, in the suffering, is joy uh, still possible? Hmm. That's all legit. We need to hear those sermons. We need to hear joy is possible, peace is possible all, all the time. Hmm. But I said, I think... um, there's another big question that's now pressing on us in our culture in light of COVID, in light of race, all things regarding race and racism in our culture, in light of our growing uh, obsession with politics, um, mm-hmm. where everything is now somehow political, right. um, our growing inability to have relationships with people who have disagreement with us or us with them. Yeah. All of these things swirling, I think, have, have raised the question of, is joy still permissible? can we be happy about, am I allowed to be happy about anything anymore? Right. When I started thinking about the sermon of joy that like immediately, I just, I was like, I think, I think our people need to hear us talk about that. Am I allowed to be happy about anything? Um, and so I had some fun with my introduction of, you know, talking about ways that people or just the cultural in general, like I didn't have any person in mind or any group in mind. I just had like the vibe in mind of where people try to prohibit our joy. Right. So I kind of, I poked fun at a lot of different stuff, but so in a political world, were you trying to intentionally be political? No, 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 no. So no, I essentially try to avoid, uh, politics in the pulpit, like the plague to a certain degree. Right. So no, I was just trying to poke fun at all the different areas of our lives where people try to prohibit and suppress joy. So like very quickly to not make this long, like I talked about, oh, you know, someone came back from Thanksgiving and oh, we had the best Thanksgiving and we had so much good food and the turkey was phenomenal and it was just so joyous. And then the response is, yeah, but was your turkey grass fed, organic, (laughs) 
<laughs> humanely slaughtered. Right, right. Because if it wasn't, you have nothing to have joy about. You should be ashamed of yourself, yeah, you know? Right. Listen, I say that as someone who eats pretty clean. Like, I'm an, okay. So if, mm-hmm. if you're like, that hurts my feelings or you're making fun of me, if I'm making fun of anyone, I'm making fun of myself because yeah. give it. Dude, for Thanksgiving, I had wild hog harvested straight out of a field. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's as organic right. as you can get. Uh-huh. I'm like in... Farm to table, right? Everything I buy would be organic if I could afford it. Right. That's me. So, if I'm making fun of anyone, it's myself. But you get the point. Right. And, and uh, I think our church got the point of, yes, there's this cultural vibe of is joy possible? So, my answer from the text from Luke 2... Luke 2 says, when the shepherds, these nobody shepherds out in the field that God sends an angel to, to let them know Jesus has been born, they say, um, the text says, uh, the angel says, I've got great news of good joy or something like that. It's almost uh, explicit. I've got great news of good joy, good news of great joy, I think. Um, So I said, God's not a liar. So our joy is not rooted in ourselves. It's not mm-hmm. rooted in other people. It's not rooted in whether or not we've been the victim of sin. Um, it's not rooted in how good the culture around us is. It's rooted in, as the text says, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. Mm. That is where our joy is rooted. That's the good news. The good news is God came not scorched earth judgment. He came in tender mercy as a baby and God's not a liar. He said that this news is great joy. So it just is, period. And so is joy possible? Yes. It's not only possible. It's not only permissible. It's inevitable. That was my answer. Hmm. It's inevitable because God's not a liar. And he said that his gospel is a gospel of great joy. So hmm. if we are looking to the gospel, if we're looking to the greatness of the gospel, believing in Jesus there is joy to be had. Mm. And yes, there could be pain and weeping now, but as the Psalms say, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So Mm. because our joy is in Jesus, joy gets the last word because Jesus gets the last word. Mm -hmm. Jesus gets the last word over sin, Satan, death, hell, suffering. He gets the last word. So thank God Mm. our joy will too. Yeah, It'll get the last word. That's, That's where I went. Uh, yeah. Where are you? I know you're doing Luke 1. Yeah, I'm going to do Luke 1. So I'm going to start right with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so you have, uh, well, basically about 400 years of silence. So 400 years of God not speaking since Malachi, right? The Old Testament. And then you have um, God showing up and really sending an angel, Gabriel, to show up to, uh, to Zechariah. Um, while he's in between like uh, burning incense in this place called the most holy place, right before you get into the Holy of Holies, there's the curtain. Um, and an angel stands there and proclaims that he's also going to have a child. And so it's almost like there's a two birth sequence. You did the one with Jesus, obviously, and then this is John. So initial thoughts, I mean, I'm just initially getting into the text right now and starting to think about it, but uh, it's fascinating that at the beginning of this account, uh, very, very good things were said about Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, they both come from um, priestly families, uh, even Elizabeth from Aaron. 
actually, and uh, and it said that they were righteous people. I mean, there's very few people in the Bible that are called that. You know, you go back to Noah. So I mean, this is a big deal, right? Uh, and then it they were more. I mean, they were good people. It's almost like they did everything right. And then it ends before it gets into the actual account of Gabriel showing up and scaring uh, the life literally almost out of him. Uh, it says, but Elizabeth was barren and they had not had a child. And so it seems to me, if I, as I'm thinking about this and I'm even now thinking out loud, it seems that I, I see joy uh, just even like say in an existential way. Joy seems to be the emotion of uh, fullness, completeness, filling, right? Um, and its opposite would be barrenness. Its opposite would be emptiness, nothingness, right? So you start off with nothingness in this account. It's almost like we're going back to the original creation story, this barrenness, this nothingness. Uh, and then when Gabriel does do his announcement about this child they're going to have, he announces that they're going to have great joy and gladness. Isn't that interesting? Uh, but of course, we know that, that joy ultimately is going to be in a child, not the John child, uh, but the Jesus child. So it seems we're going to head in that direction. So I, I, I would imagine that the texture of of the sermon would go something like joy to the world even when you have none mm -hmm. or when you have none um, and start there and try to work our way out of that work our way out of the barrenness mm -hmm. to the fullness uh, and even probably it's interesting as I'm thinking about it right now that John actually what Gabriel does say about John is that he brings cataclysmic cosmic change so He's not a revolutionary in the sense of upturning political things, and he's not a, a, a religious fanatic in terms of bringing people uh, to um, align their lives morally. It actually says he's going to restore fathers and children. And he's going, I mean, like deeply mm -hmm. um, untouchable change, almost like he's going to turn barrenness to fullness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably where we're headed, is this joy is actually a life changer. Uh, so when you do have it, when it is present, you are filled, you are filling, um, and it, it changes you. And then my mind immediately goes, you know, to Galatians, since we've been doing Judges and Galatians, my mind immediately goes to Galatians where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Mm-hmm. So then I asked, I start asking questions like, so is there, is there joy apart from the gift of the child, the Jesus, the mm -hmm. filling and the fullness? Mm -hmm. And all we're living on right now in this world is uh, almost like a, a, a waft of smoke from the, like a, almost like yeah. the smoke from the incense. We're not really in the incense. We're not really at the source. We're just kind of, living off the fumes of what once was. Uh, and yes, there's concentrations of joy here in this world because this world is good, right? God mm -hmm. packed part of his glory and everything. It's not completely erased. It's been defaced. 
so whatever is artifacts are found here uh, ultimately point to the fruit of the spirit, the fullness, mm -hmm. the completeness of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The picture in, in with you saying that when I was studying the text for Luke two, you know, reading from the beginning, Luke one into Luke two, <clears throat> there were two things I noticed and it, I think it kind of paints that picture a little bit of what humanity is like in this assumption because the two things I saw was that there were two dominant. So Luke, right, he begins this, I'm going to give you this detailed account of the life and times of Jesus, like mm -hmm. this investigative reporter. Mm -hmm. So he's giving all these details. This was the governor. This was the ruler. This was what happened. This is when. But he's. But he also gives um, human response. And the, two, the, the thing I noticed was that in Luke 1 and 2, at least, there are two dominant human responses or states of mind or emotions that he points out. He doesn't point out like 12 various ones. He essentially points out two again and again and again, fear and joy. Hmm. And even at the birth, because I noticed that with John, yeah, he mentions joy, I think, seven times in Luke 1 and 2. Seven wow. times. He mentions fear five times. And, and the joy is always wrapped up in Jesus. So even John's birth, what is so joyful about John's birth? He's going to prepare the way of Jesus. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. But I did note that it was interesting that the other thing, again, it wasn't seven different human states of mind or emotions. It was two. It was, there's either fear or there's joy again and again and again. So mm -hmm. uh, John's dad was like in distress or trouble i think like when he couldn't when he, when the angel comes down like yeah. so it's, it's fear distress trouble it's like that's this murmur that's like the human condition hmm. of humanity yeah. it's just fear you fear. know that's good when heaven shows up it's like we freak out uh-huh it's because we're already kind of scared deep down <laughs> right. you know it's, it's kind of letting the cracking out it's already there Anyways, um, very yeah, excited. That's good. Very excited. Love this series. Yeah, um, I am too. Let's do five. Let's do like five, ten minutes. Yeah. Um, Perseverance. Can you lose your salvation? Um, what is our? Can you lose your salvation? Uh, that's a. Uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you to go. What's mm. our position and why? But what an important talking about fear. What a terrifying thing to think about. And I think that can plague a lot of Christians to a certain degree that if I'm a Christian today and I believe in Jesus today and I have eternal life today, um, and I can look back on my life and go, man, I, I didn't have eternal life until, you know, youth camp senior year. And I came to faith and now I have eternal life and I have forgiveness. Uh, how do I rest in confidence and peace that tomorrow I'm going to wake up believing in Jesus and the next day, and I'm not going to walk away from this yeah. and I'm not going to walk away from Jesus. Um, I think that's a plaguing question. Mm -hmm. It's a good theological question that, that needs to be asked and answered. I think it can be a question that if you don't have the answer to, can be very scary. Yeah. Um, the thought that maybe one day I could lose my salvation and walk away from everything and, mm -hmm. and end up in hell is a terrifying reality. So, can you lose your salvation? What is our position? By our, I kind of mean... Our tradition. Well, yeah. yeah, the Bible. And why? Yeah, I think... One, I think only someone who has... Only someone who's a real sinner will actually ask this question. 
Yeah, true. If you're not a, if you're a fictional sinner, you know, a general sinner, it's, this is not a scary question for you. But if you're a real sinner, which means you, you, you have felt and you know the power, the deceitfulness of sin, uh, you know that you're no match for it. You know that you can't uh, tame it, control it. You can't deliver yourself from it. Uh, you have that much experience with this enemy. You know that it's foolish uh, to result to moralistic exhortations to deal with sin. It just doesn't cut it. Steps don't cut it. Um, practical how-tos and disciplines won't tame the beast. It's like bringing a squirt gun to a gunfight in Fallujah. You know, it's just like impossible. So, so really, we're talking and talking to folks that actually know they're a real sinner and have felt the power, the experience of their sin in real life and know that that is a scary, scary thing and that uh, it could have the upper hand and could swallow you up. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think this, this question has arisen throughout church history is from that experience of Christians really uh, being in conflict with sin and becoming aware of it, like even Paul, when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's a, he's talking as a Christian, as an mm-hmm. apostle, as a Christian. So I, I resonate with that. Um, so I think what's most helpful for me, I, I had a history professor that was just always, he was just dogged um, in, in clarity and dogged in simplicity of bringing everything back to who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And he would say things like, uh, did Jesus accomplish everything necessary to take me to glory, or is there some other work out there still needing to be done? In other words, did Jesus do the work to take a sinner like me to glory, or is there still some unfinished work out there, some unfinished business that I need to do? Uh, I think that's a very profound question. And the answer is, from the scriptures resounding, he did it all. He finished it. And so then you get into places like Ephesians where it talks about what Jesus accomplished. And then Paul says, we are now blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Like Jesus has accomplished this thing for you. Uh, It doesn't mean that uh, all of it is experientially applied to you at this moment and present in the state between uh, justification and glorification called sanctification, but it's all secured for you. Uh, and then you go to a place like Romans where it goes real clear. He goes, those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. So between justification and glorification, no one falls out. Mm-hmm. No one. Mm-hmm. There's not even mention of sanctification in there, Not no renovation, which mm-hmm. is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the answer really goes down to the efficacy and the accomplishment and the purchase and the power and the definitive work of good news that Jesus has really done something like a comprehensive salvation. If that's the case uh, and other scriptures uh, show that to be true and then expound on it and, and highlight the implications of it, you can't. It would be like it would be like what Paul says in Romans six. You know, he's been, he died, he rose. He's not going to get pulled out of heaven again. For you to lose your salvation 
if you're in Christ, is for Christ to be pulled out of heaven, and it's for Christ to be to die again, and uh, that can't happen. So I think if everything about this very pastoral question and very mm-hmm. practical Christian life question, if everything ultimately goes back and is rooted in uh, Jesus and what He's accomplished, that is your solid ground of assurance. Uh, not anything in you, mm-hmm. and not how you're feeling that day, and not how well you're handling your sin that day, and not how well uh, or how strong you think your faith is that day. Uh, it's actually rooted in who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And if there is going to be any warming of your faith and any new healthy good thinking and healthy feelings, it's going to come and arise and be energized by looking at the gospel mm-hmm. and looking at what Jesus has accomplished. So that would be my first pass at that. Yeah, when we talk about coming to faith in Christ and forgiveness and, and having eternal life, we say, trust Jesus. Don't mm-hmm. trust yourself. Trust Jesus. So, you know, what I'm thinking right now, you know, of the many things that can be said about this, especially pastorally, especially someone who might be in the throes of worrying about their future, worrying about, can I lose my salvation? You know, my answer that to them would be trust Jesus. Uh, you trusted Jesus and you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future. You have trusted Jesus for your justification. Are you about to turn to yourself to trust yourself to get you home? Yeah. Just keep trusting Jesus. Yeah. Trust the good shepherd. You know, and I'm thinking of a couple of texts, John 10, where Jesus says he's the good shepherd and no one snatches his people out of his hand. Yeah. No one. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't let them go. In Jude, there's this great, I think we call it a benediction. At the end of Jude, he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. With great joy. With great joy. He says that, right? <laughs> he does say that. Dude. Oh, man. I just saw that with great joy. Maybe I'll do that I'm because uh-huh. I'm preaching Yeah. in like two weeks. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so he's not saying in theory God can keep you to the end. You know, praise God for his might. But he might not... There's no hope in that. There's no There's no good jo- news in that. There's no pastoral counsel in that, if that's what he's saying. The implication is what he's saying is he's going to keep you. He's able to keep you, and he's going to keep you to the end. Yeah. So praise him. Praise yeah. him and trust him. Right. To He's the one who gave you. You know, we talked about total depravity last week, that we're dead. He's the one who wakes us up and gives us faith. He doesn't then retreat into heaven and cross his fingers and say, I hope you can sustain the faith I gave you. I hope you can hold it together. He didn't do that with Peter, right? He said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Yeah. Doesn't he say? Yeah. But I've prayed for you. Right. 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 Um, I'm not going to let it happen, Peter. No. You know, no. I'm going to let you. I am going to allow you mm-hmm. to go to the brink where you might just finally wake up and realize, ooh, I got to stop trusting myself so much, yeah. you know? Yeah. But to him who's able to keep you, no one will snatch you out of his hand. He's the one who gave you faith. He's the one who will sustain it. And as, you know, the the golden chain, the unbreakable chain in Romans of all those whom he justified, he glorified. Yeah. No one's lost, Yeah. you know? So he goes after the sheep, he gets them, he brings them home, he keeps them. They're not lost. So we can lay our head on the pillow at night and rest assured, not in ourselves, not in our resolve, because as you said, 
dude, when we look at ourselves, we go like, dude, if this was up to me, it's over. I'm a goner. Yeah. I mean, by goner, what I mean is I'm, I'm turning my back and running yeah. fast. I will deny him. Yes. Yeah. If it's up to me. Um, and that's not because I sit here with a palpable desire to, right, I just right. know enough of my sinful corruptness right. to know that'll kick in at some point, right. boys and girls. And the only fact, the only reason why there's actual like faith and goodness in any spiritual life is because we're a new creation. It's been given to us. So there's only new thinkings and new feelings and fruits of a new nature of a new self because it was given to us because Christ accomplished it. So you, again, if he's accomplished everything and it's all this, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is just, it's been accomplished. Uh, faith is part of that. Faith is part of what he's accomplished for you. Your obedience is part of what he's accomplished for you. Your growth, your life change is part of what he accomplished for you. So did he actually accomplish it or not? If he did, then all the faith that you need and all the faith that you're ever going to have has already been purchased. He's now applying it to you mm-hmm. by the power of his spirit through the preaching, hearing of the gospel. It, it actually gets more and more applied mm-hmm. and you are more and more sanctified, so to speak. Uh, but it, again, it's according to God's perfect plan of how he goes about that in your life. And, and for most of us, we need to realize that that involves you actually seeing and feeling what you're really like so that you have a real honest self-awareness, which is a real repentance that, oh, my word, I can't trust myself. Oh, my word, this is what I'm really like. Mm-hmm. So you turn and only hold on to the righteousness of another, the new life of another, the faith that's been accomplished for you by another so that you ask him for it, right? Uh, That seems to be the healthy way to engage this dynamic. Um, When we struggle, we're not meant to uh, turn into ourself to, like, we're in a swamp and we're up to our neck. I think Bart actually said this, and we reach and grab the top of our head and we try to pull on our hair to pull ourselves out of a swamp. That's not the answer to be saved in terms of justification and it's not the answer to be sanctified in terms of the Christian life or Mm -hmm. to uh, wrestle with persevering uh, trusting Jesus to the end it's not going to be you grabbing your head and pulling your hair and trying to pull you out again it's completely I can't save I can't pull myself out of here Mm -hmm. and looking to the one who does Try to keep this under 30 minutes, make like a minute comment, because I think it'd be probably need to address. What about people who, uh, I'll make a quick comment on this. What about people who, man, it was like they were Christians, they seemed to believe, and they totally walked away from the faith. Um, You know, the Bible would talk about making shipwreck of their faith. So so I just have two thoughts to kind of, to share on that. One is when I was a kid going into high school, Mm -hmm. I would have said I was a Christian, all these sorts of things. there may have even been times where like even morally, you know, I would have stood up for different Christian morals and things like that. And if I would have walked away, I would have been that example of someone like, wait, what about Colin? He seemed to believe and now he doesn't. In hindsight, after coming to the faith, probably uh, sometime in high school, I can look back and go, you know, people might say like a cultural Christian, you know, like it it was how I was raised to believe these things. And 
Mm-hmm. And so I would have professed them and even had a, a, a conscience, a mm-hmm. bit more sensitive conscience, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So I can actually say I would have been an example of someone that you said, well, 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 Jeff and Colin, he seemed to have faith and then lose it. Right. And I would say, no, actually knowing my heart, because we don't, we can't see directly into people's hearts. Right. We can see behavior. We can see right. the words they say. Knowing my heart, um, <clears throat> I can go, I, I didn't have faith. I might have looked like it. I think this is also why the Bible will clearly warn of wolves when it will talk about wolves coming in. Um, well, what's A wolf is not dangerous if you can see their teeth. If you can see their teeth, they look like a wolf, they walk like a wolf. They're not that dangerous because you're going to keep them really far away from the sheep. But that's not how wolves oftentimes, like by wolves in the church, you know, we might be talking about someone who teaches heresy and divides the church. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, wolves are dangerous because, well, at first they look just like the sheep. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they look just like the sheep. And then all of a sudden they, they abandon the faith and you go, well, what about that person? Well, the Bible would actually say, again, I'm, I'm here just talking about someone who comes in and maybe preaches heresy and tries to divide the church. Yeah. They, they looked like a sheep. Yeah. But the Bible would say, but they never, they never were. So we have to, I'm just, it's a bit of a caution to go. Paul actually said that, didn't he? He says they, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were not of us. Yeah. So the Bible actually, the great thing is at at a minimum, that quick, quick answer that the Bible actually addresses that question from multiple angles of what about people who clearly seem to believe, but then walked away? Doesn't that undermine everything we just said? It doesn't. Um, Because again, we can't see people's hearts directly. Um, So... Yeah, there's a there's a great book if you it, it would be a it would be a great read over Christmas called Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards and he was tackling in the first great awakening what is a genuine work of grace in someone's life. And uh, one of the conclusions, one of the major conclusions of the book is that physical signs are not a certain sign of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're trying to you're trying to categorize or identify a work of grace in someone's life. And uh, he said that in the first awakening, there were many people coming to faith in Christ. Uh, and then there seemed to be works of God going on in communities and people's lives, but they had these wild outward physical manifestations. And he was trying to figure out how do you know what's a real work of God? How do you know what's not a real work of God? But I, regardless what he, and he went into religious affections, you can read it. But what, one of the things that was most powerful about it is that he came to the conclusion when he's absolutely right, that signs, physical, visible manifestations of Christianity are not a certain sign of anything. They're not a certain sign that it's a work of God's grace, and they're not a certain sign that it's not a work of God's grace. The issue is don't make them a certain sign because they're not a certain sign. (laughs) What's a sign is genuine a work of grace in someone's heart that they have this mm-hmm. new life of mm-hmm. trusting in Jesus. Um, so I guess in this whole dynamic, it would be the same is that uh, we can have a lot of um, movement on the exterior parts of our lives that look very religious and are very moral and very good, quite frankly, and yet our hearts be left completely untouched. And and so that dynamic can happen. So when we're trying to describe, well, what if that person just walked away? One, that 
it might be a season in which it looks like sin has an upper hand on them, but they're a believer. We mm-hmm. just don't know. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that the external realities were just external and the heart was never reached and the heart mm-hmm. was never changed and there was no real trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all that's happening is, is that's just finally being seen. Mm-hmm. We should do a, an episode on assurance of salvation. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot because even as you're saying this, there's so much good news packed into this. Because even when someone doubts their salvation, a lot of times they're pointed to like their fruit. Well, look at your life. Yeah. Look at your obedience and the fruit. But it's like, well, I- I've known people with fruit that then abandon the faith. Yeah. That doesn't really give me much assurance. No. On the flip side, man, my friend seems to be walking in insane rebellion against God. Um, hey, there's actually, there's actually good news. Like number one, you don't know fully what's going on in their heart. Right. Right. You can get an idea. Yeah. But, but we don't know for sure, for sure what's going on and what God is doing and what God has done and what's to come for them. Right. I don't. So I think we should do an episode on that. Again, it goes back to my, one of the thoughts I shared, which is trust Jesus. Like, am I, am I really saved? Um, let me ask you a question in your heart. Are you trusting Jesus? Do you know you're a sinner before him? Yes, that's what I'm so afraid of. I, I'm so sinful. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really good yeah. that you know that. Are you trusting Jesus for forgiveness? Yes, he's my only hope. All right. Sleep like sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah. You know? Um, anyways, all right. Let's be done uh, with this for now. Um to come we'll do some more uh riffing on joy in the next couple episodes we'll take a break over christmas it'll probably be a couple weeks we don't drop an episode um in the spring very excited we're mm-hmm. gonna, just gonna be doing a sermon series we're gonna be doing a sermon series here at redeemer on kind of the bible basics so core doctrines and we're gonna pair that up with the podcast to kind of do some deep cuts and deep dives into some of the details uh behind the scenes work mm-hmm. so um until then guys 